This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and it spans the lay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hey everyone, welcome back to Soccer Pilgrim. I'm your host, Jason Kim. And today's episode is another special episode with a guest that I've just met five minutes ago. So I'm really excited to like delve in deeper, talk to him some more and get to know him better. And that guest is Ben Green. I, actually, before we, start, before, before we start, for whatever reason, I referred to you as Ben White to one of my friends. And like, I'm talking to Ben White. He's like, you're talking to Ben White? I'm like, oh shit, wrong guy, Ben Green. <laughs> but anyway, Ben, what's up? How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for thanks for having me on. I'm 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 looking forward to it. Always happy to talk Arsenal. Of course. Uh, well, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we've both had kind of like all these busy schedules, so I'm finally glad we linked up. And I got to give a shout out to Tugwa for making it happen. So, middleman Tugwa, thank you so much. And first and foremost, I guess um, since I'm meeting you first time, where are you from? Obviously, your accent's not Canadian. <laughs> I'm from London originally. Oh, okay. And. I've been living in Southern California though for the last like eight or nine years at this point. But oh, yeah, wow. no, I was born and, born and raised in London. So whereabouts in London? Were you born in like North London or? I was born in like Northwest London. Okay. So like Arsenal territory, is that fair to say? Still more or less Arsenal. I, I kind of, so I kind of live in between um, where Emirates and Highbury are and oh. uh, QPR and Brentford. Those are like my two, uh, those are, those are like my three most local clubs to where to where I grew up. So Arsenal, QPR, and Brentford. Yes, yeah. They're all like I grew up all within like a twenty minute span of, of, of all three of them. Okay, that's okay. That's fascinating because you're my first guest of this season who is actually from London. Everyone else is not from London. They're either from Montreal, Toronto, wherever, and they've all kind of I guess I'll let you know sort of their story they they all shared how they all became arsenal fans from different ways some of them was their father was watching arsenal others it was through uh fifa or winning 11 because arsenal would be you know a so the first team would come up they're like we're picking arsenal and it was that time of the invincible so they're like we're always going arsenal so what was your story how did you become an arsenal fan so uh, initially it was when i was when i was four years old and like i first started going to school my two best friends were twins and their family was massive Arsenal fans. And this was right around the age when I first started playing and like getting into it for the first time, like four or five years old. And neither of my parents kind of like grew up with massive football fans or like, or like had a team necessarily. And then being my, my like the first kids I met at school and like my best friends, I kind of fell into it that way. And then later discovered that actually that my uh, on my mom's side, my grandma and her dad had actually been Arsenal fans and she'd grown up as a kid going to Arsenal reserve games. And so I found all of this out kind of as I got older as well, which was which was cool to to learn. I kind of felt like it was it was kind of meant to be anyway. Yeah, but, it's like um, a, a family affair at this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's kind of how it initially, like where it initially stemmed from. Okay. And the yeah. fact that it's still like, it, I, it, it wasn't like I was two hours I was still like I was relatively local yeah um, to the like to the area as well um so it just it just kind of it, it sort of feels like it kind of was meant to be it kind of fell into my lap a little bit is that is that common in the UK because I remember this one time uh I was in uh I was in some like random restaurant back at university and I was uh, I had a backpack full of patches whenever I travel I collect these patches and put them on my backpack 
And one of them was a Scottish uh, emblem, whatever, you know, the yellow one with the line and so on. Yeah, yeah. So this guy with like a thick Scottish accent was like, I'm not going to do it. But he was like, um, <laughs> he was like, you're in Scotland. I'm like, yeah, uh, I was only in Edinburgh and the Highlands, you know, the tourist stuff. He was like, oh, okay, I'm from Glasgow. And we started talking. And then I was like, uh, do you watch football? And he's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Celtics fan. I'm like, really? And he was t- telling me the same thing. His dad was Celtics fan. His you know, mom's a Celtics fan, you know, third, fourth generation Celtic fans. Yeah. And then he was like, I have cousins who are Rangers fans. And whenever it's a derby match, we're like not friends. We're not family. So is it similar when, when it comes to like London, uh, London derbies and stuff like that? 100%. I mean, specifically for me, like Tottenham for sure is like, I try and avoid having any relationships with anyone that is Tottenham <laughs> fan in kind of like any context. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of like, it's, it's hard to really, hard to really ex- explain like where the hatred comes from. But it's like, when you grow up an Arsenal fan, it's just, it's just always there. And it's mm. like, you, you, you always remember them that like those days on Monday, um, after the, after the weekend, going back to school after, after North London derby <laughs> and like knowing who the Tottenham fans are in your class. Oh man. He's just making like making sure uh you let them know <laughs> if you if, <laughs> if 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 we if we happen to won won the derby. Like it it will ruin your Monday. Oh my you, god. If, if you if you if you'd gone into school and like Arsenal had lost. Um but no, it, it definitely is like that to a certain extent. And there are often times where there are families who are split. Yeah, um, oh, man. Where it, it, it's maybe it's not Arsenal and Tottenham, but yeah. Um, like you, you, you do hear, you, you do hear a lot of stories and I'm definitely knowing a handful of people as well as growing up, like, oh, like my dad was this, but like, my mum was this. And then I ended up, you know, and then it's like, come, come, come game day. It's like, it definitely would create some, some tension. Oh, that's, no, that's so funny because, um, obviously for me, like as an outsider peeking in, my only point of reference would be like, uh, the Montreal Canadiens. Mm-hmm. And like in Montreal, if you're a Toronto fan in Montreal, it's like for hockey, it's like, what are you doing, man? Like, that's like a, it's like a suicide note, but like, yeah, yeah. But then, but then in London, there's so many professional teams, right? There's like, you got West Ham in East London, you got the two North London uh, clubs, you got Chelsea in the West, Crystal Palace in the South. And it's like, it feels, I mean, first off, it tells you how big London is. And then you have like, you know, uh, Fulham, uh, QPR and other clubs I'm like blank at right now, or Brentford, as you mentioned. And it's like, yeah. it tells you how big London is and how tribalistic the city is. And it's, um, for me at least, I was like, that's so foreign. And I think this is why I want to do an Arsenal season. I was like, for a lot of us international fans, we're not from there. So we don't understand that cultural nuance, but you do. And um, do you have cousins that are like Tottenham fans? Luckily, I do not. <laughs> um, I don't have any, I don't have any close family from members that are not, that are not Arsenal fans. Um, and man, it's a good thing you're not in high school in the last like five years because you would have been grilled every month. Oh, it w- it would have been rough. It would have been rough. Like, I still, <laughs> I, I mean, now it's like I got since coming to the states. It's like you find the majority, like, the majority of people tend to be Man United fans. Right is what I what I tend to come come across. Yeah, that's and you still you you still you still hear it from them. Um, <laughs> but these last these last five years. It's yeah, it's been a t- it's just different because like obviously growing up like I grew up going to games I ha- like I have I have the date I first went to Highbury like tattooed oh, on my arm man and that's it's like that's like I grew up, I remember like the first the first game I went to Highbury we beat Aston Villa five 0 we saw Thierry Henry score a brace oh man it's, like, it's just like you that's like the Arsenal that I'd grown up but then even like the 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 early Emirates era 
like yeah. from 06 to like 2011 like we were still we were always top four um finished second a couple of times and still some really really good teams that played some really really good stuff and yeah it's been it, now like as i'm older it's like you feel like you you take that for granted just it's interesting to see like the development of of i think the, the club in terms of like stature yeah and history and of, of course of course like it's still the, the club still remains huge like it's a massive club it's a global brand that's it but it's yeah. just interesting to see like the footballing the footballing um changes throughout those times and it makes you appreciate how difficult it is to consistently win at a high level yeah and um how does it feel like witnessing Tottenham on the rise? You know what I mean? Like, you know, I think Tottenham got my attention when they signed uh, Rafael van der Vaart. I was like, oh my God, they got a Madrid player. And then Gareth Bale was coming up at the same time. And I was, I started watching Gareth Bale a lot. And part of me was like, maybe I should be a Tottenham fan. And, <laughs> and I was, I mean, like as a, I mean, as an Arsenal fan, how does that make you feel seeing Tottenham's rise and then Arsenal's decline? You're like, what went wrong, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think there's mixed feelings about that. Obviously, mm-hmm. you you love you love the 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 time period where it's like we we know for a fact like we're head and shoulders a better footballing side, a bigger club. Yeah, like without a doubt. Like, but then there's also elements that it makes that not that that game would ever not be meaningful, mm-hmm. but said like there were at least in the last five or six years, there's we um prior to this current last couple of years, it's like we're both kind of fighting for in and around fourth and fifth place right battling for that final top four spot and tottenham was always there neck and neck with us so it makes them games even bigger than they Mm -hmm. would be anyway when they're they're kind of it 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 makes the the wind even sweeter when it's like in that because there there was a couple where we kind of just nicked in front of them to get in the top four Uh, but then at the same time it's like it's also telling to me that even in their so-called rise they've still won no trophies we still won more in, in, in so called rise in our decline and our decline which it hasn't been a decline without i'm not going to deny that and their right. so-called rise we've still won more than they have um, <laughs> that's true they i mean that's like the life of a Tottenham fan celebrating second place and celebrating <laughs> runners up medals so I, yes it's there the elements that are frustrating and obviously um but then there's also like even it, it makes you feel good that their the peak of the, the history of their club is is still, we're technically speaking, less successful than our lowest and darkest years of mm. recent memory. That's a mad but shade. There's, there's, <laughs> there's something there's something bittersweet about that at the same I, time. Yeah, I understand. I remember. Um, do you remember this old Vice documentary that came out? I think it must have been ten years by now, where it was uh, football's most dangerous rivalry. It was about the uh, the Glasgow derby, and. Yeah. This is when Rangers were going through uh, administration. They went to like fourth division. And I remember yeah. I remember the Rangers fan, even some Celtic fans were saying, okay, well, Celtic fans were happy. But at the same time, they're like, but it kind of kills the fun of it. You know what I mean? So like, how would you feel if let's say Tottenham had won that Champions League final against Liverpool at Madrid? That's, would you be saying- That would have really, really hurt, mainly because we, that's the one trophy that we have not won. Yeah. It, it it would be obviously like it'd be devastating if they won anything, Premier League, whatever, whatever. <laughs> but that's the one thing. Like if they had won a Champions League, the one major trophy that we as a we have not won a major European trophy. Yeah, uh, in the modern it is like that. If they were to win, if that was to be the trophy that that, that they were to win, that would be hard 
that would be definitely the most difficult to deal with. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, I was a massive Liverpool fan that day. That's, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. I was, it was a massive Liverpool fan that day. And like, I'm um, a Liverpool fan. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, but I'm a Liverpool fan. So uh, mm-hmm. the one thing that was disappointing about that game was it was really boring. Um, early penalty and it was just like Tottenham wasn't pushing forward. I just didn't understand why. And Liverpool was like, we got the goal. We could shut it down because Van Dijk is just a beast, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, actually, bring, going back to Highbury, what was that like? It's, uh, I mean, it's hard to really kind of put into words. I was pretty young when I first got on. I was six. Yeah, so, what, was your, what was your earliest memory or impression? Yeah, it's just like, it, it's kind of cliche, but it does feel like a bit of like a, like a religious experience. Mm. You know, like you, I feel like you kind of hear that a lot, but it's tough to really yeah. kind of, it's tough to really e- explain. And the year that I first went, it was the final year of Highbury. It was the, it was, it was our last season in Highbury before the move oh. to, to Emirates as well. So I, it, it, it's hard to really put into words exactly. I see. And it's just, you, you also, you also feel like, even when, when you're there, when you're in there, when you're walking up to it, like you can just feel the history of everything that's come, yeah. that's come before there. Um, and it's, it's tough to put into words. I, I get to be it. Honest. It's just like, a, it's just like a certain feeling and a sense. And like, I still, I still get that same feeling today. Whenever, when, whenever I'm back in England and I'm going to even, it's a different feeling at Emirates a little bit, but like, I still grew up, like I grew up going to the majority of the games i went to as a kid was in the emirates era still right and like still now like when you walk in like when you're when you're walking up and you see you first you first see the stadium for the first time and you step inside it's just like you get that same you get that same sort of feeling that's kind of Mm. like indescribable but it's like it just feels it just feels right yeah i totally understand because like um when I look at the pictures of Hybrid, it's there. It's like condos now, right? They've converted to yeah. Condos. Now it's now it's now it's an apartment. But actually, a lot of the ex-players bought. They bought uh, just for kind of like nostalgic. Oh, that's cool. Purposes. They own flats in the kind of the hybrid condos. And oh, awesome. I, I like how they didn't complete. They they kept like a semblance of the stadium feel. So like they have the the blocks of flats are right. like in a square and they left like the pitch as like the communal gardens. Oh, that's of, awesome. Like, the, of the complex. Yeah. Uh, and there are, so there are certain elements, there are certain elements of the stadium that are still there kind of like within the flats and like the apartment complex, which is pretty cool. They didn't that's just really completely cool. knock it down, destroy it and like just build like a normal block of flats, you know, that's they like still, still respect for the history of it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And the front of it still looks like it looked what the front of hybrid looked like. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. very cool. Like, um, cause the way going back to that religious thing, right? So, uh, I remember and that's one thing I love about stadiums in England specifically is that uh, those old school stadium, even like Anfield, right. Or like, uh, maybe not so much old Trafford, but especially hybrid, it's, it looks like it's in the middle of a neighborhood. And the only other big structures you see built like that are churches and cathedrals where they're in the middle of the neighborhood serving the community. So when you say it's a religious experience, I was like, I totally get it. Like I, I see. And, and like you, you go once a week. That's you know, it. It's, it's like, it, there's so many overlaps and so many 100%. similarities. Um, and yeah, like, like there often are like at this, in the center of communities, the center of neighborhoods, like the hub where people from all different backgrounds, whatever it may be, they kind of all come together as one yeah. in the same place for, yeah. and for all different to decide for 90 minutes. And like, you're all there supporting one cause that's bigger than yourself. Yeah. I, 
I can, so like, I, I, I say this to a lot of my guests, but I have a master's in religion. So for me, all these things, all these parallels, I'm like, I see it. I'm like, this, if someone were to tell me, you know, uh, sports isn't religion, I'm like, ah, you got to dig deeper. You got to, you got to talk to that guy who's screaming. That's it. Depends, that tongue, that's it. depends it. what your definition of religion is. Because that's it. It, it, it is honestly, that. Yeah. 100%. Well, that's why, that's why I named this podcast soccer pilgrim. Cause whenever I travel and visit these stadiums, I feel like a pilgrim. Cause I'm so much a fan of the game. Like, um, I went to the right before the pandemic. I went to Madrid for a conference and I was like, I don't care what happens. I'm going to a Real Madrid game. I, in my entire life, I've watched these guys by all the biggest names that I've worshipped, like Kaká, Zidane, Figo. I'm like, I got to go, right? And I remember uh, going to the Santiago Bernabeu. I remember just, I think exactly how you're feeling, just shivers. I was like, oh shit, I can't believe I'm here. And everyone's like, I remember everyone's super like friendly, happy, saying, hey, welcome, your first time here. I'm like, yeah, you're going to love it. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm about to cry, man. Like, let me watch. Yeah. It was, it was incredible. And I, yeah, I remember watching Gareth Bale and I was like, his, he has horse legs. And I'm like, that's ridiculous on a, on a, any human. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. But no, I, I mean, like just going off that point as well as like, yeah. I remember whenever obviously growing up in my child as a kid, like I would always wear football kits everywhere. Right. And it's like, whenever going like the holiday or vacation as a kid and like you were in your football shop my dad would always tell me it's like that's the, the easiest way to speak to or get to know someone is if you have a football shirt on people want to come up and talk to you 100 doesn't matter where you are doesn't matter people want to come up and engage if they see if they see it doesn't matter what team might be i mean for me it was always i've always been an arsenal kit somewhere it's like people want to then come up and yeah. talk to you ask about whether they speak the language or not it's just like a, it's just like a, a welcoming, uh, it, it just, it's, it's like a, it's, it's just an easy way to connect with people. Like, especially with Arsenal, it's because as you said, it's like an international brand, right? Actually. So in, in the States, you said you're in Southern California. So like LA, San Diego. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, how is the, uh, how's the soccer scene like there for, in terms of premier, for premier league games or not just premier league, but also like La Liga or City or whatever. I mean, there's, so I was just, I happened to be, I was at the, like the NBC. So NBC has the rights in right. America for Premier League. So they, they hold like the fan. But I don't, who, who has the rights in, for, in Canada? Uh, it used to be TSN, if, but now it's The Zone. The Zone has all the of zone, it. Canada, uh-huh. Yeah. So like NBC puts on like a, like a fan fest. Um, oh, fun. For, they do like a, so they have the, like the studio that stay like, they take it to different cities. Oh, like cool! Pandemic, they would do it more, but this was the first fan like fan fest before, uh, since. Well, I mean, pandemic's still going on, but since yeah, um, yeah. It was, this is the first fa- fan fest since then, and they had like people lining up at one thirty to get in for the four AM because obviously on the west coast, oftentimes. So, like for example, I'm I'm getting early night tonight because we play Leicester at four thirty AM oh, tomorrow. Oh, so, and that's like a common theme. It's so like the, the, ever since I've been here, like the amount, you should see the alarms on my phone. <laughs> so every single midday kickoff, I'm up at 4am and I'll like, I'll make sure like I'm doing nothing the night before. So mm. I know that I'm up to at four day the next day, but yeah, but they had lines because you just registered. They had lines, hundreds and hundreds of people lining up at 1am. That's the mad. For the Liverpool United game on Sunday, they had nine thousand people oh, register for it. Nine thousand. So definitely, it's definitely. I mean, especially in Los Angeles, it's like you can see more and more, and obviously, so LAFC here as well. Mm, very big now. You can, you can see how. I mean, like culturally, 
the city has, especially with such a large like Hispanic population as well. That's right. Yeah. Like, like Liga MX is massive here, and it, it, you you can you can see just kind of like the the growth is like tremendous. Still, yeah. though, I won't go anywhere. Like with the way that I am, I I don't. I don't like to watch get like I get very like tense during the games. Like I don't like to watch games with other people. <laughs> so like if I was to go to like the, there are like little like pubs or bars, which right. are, like there are like LA Gooners, you know. <laughs> I've like, been a couple of times and it's like if I was to ever hear like I like to really like watch mm. like pace around and like if I would to hear like someone say something stupid behind me, I'd just be like, I can't <laughs> it's just I can't deal with it. So yeah. I haven't really like immersed myself from from that standpoint in it but then mm. they definitely i know i know i have friends who are united fans that they're they're the big united uh supporters groups and they same thing like they there's certain pubs or bars where like they um those groups meet and there's t- tons of people there interesting so it, it's it's definitely the, the cult is definitely alive and well i guess the best way to put it that's ah, that's amazing like because here it's it's different there's like this one pub i mean there's English pubs here and there or Irish mm-hmm. pubs where they'll broadcast all the Premier League games. There's one yeah. pub called Burgundy Line. Any Premier League game or Champions League game, you watch it there. But it's funny because in Montreal, it's not so much by clubs. I think the city isn't big enough to be like that, but it's it's uh, separated by uh, ethnicity in a weird way. So if you want to watch, so watch City A games, you go to an Italian cafe. There's a handful. Olympico cafe, you go there. Premier League games, you go to, uh, you go to Burgundy Line. For the league earn matches, you go to the French bars in the plateau, like in some part of town, you know? So it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you want to watch like Portuguese league, which is also pretty popular here, Portuguese league, and uh, you go to like a Portuguese cafe and it's all like separated in that manner. That's fascinating. Would you yeah. say, what, what, what would you say the biggest league is Ooh, overall uh, in oh, terms of popularity? Premier League. Premier League. Yeah, it's interesting. But it's interesting because when I was growing up in 2010s, La Liga was the league because mm-hmm. Ronaldo just went to Madrid. Messi was like just a god, still Peak. somewhat is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those El Clasicos, oh man, the El Clasicos mm-hmm. in downtown Montreal was like someone was about to punch someone. That's how intense it got. <laughs> yeah. It was, um, those were fun days. But, yes. <laughs> but uh, now it's definitely Premier League because, you know, it's just, you know, the Prem is amazing now. Actually, speaking of the Prem, so um, I asked this question to all the Arsenal fans I spoke to. And what is your opinion on Granit Xhaka? Because uh, hmm. he's a very a devi- tough one. Yeah, he's a devi- yeah. decisive character or divisive. Are you set from a, from, a, from a footballing perspective or just kind of his presence at the club alone? Everything, everything. I think he is, in general, has been really hard done by in 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 his top by fans in general mm-hmm. i think he gets way too much stick right and there have been certain i mean the past couple of years uh, he's football wise is extremely important to the way that we play and what we do and provides a really uh important balance to the side that interesting i think it's crucial and i think he has been over the last two whether whether arsenal fans like it or not has been one of our most important players which might be oh. telling of some of the issues, the greater issues we have as a club is the fact that he is one of our more important players. Okay. But um, I think in the, especially in the initial, or when, when Arteta initially took over, I think like the, the, the balance that, 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 that he provided and in, in, in this, the shape and system that we played, um, what he brought was, and I think still is to a certain extent crucial in mm-hmm. terms of like profile of player. Like you see now that like, as he's been 
he's, he's been injured. It's been uh, Lakonga and Thomas Party, and then uh, there was a game where it was Party and and um, Odegaard right. played Odegaard a little bit deeper, and it's just like, the balance of the midfield is just slightly off without him. Mm. I think he complements Partey well. I, I don't think he's by any means a, a, a world beater. Yeah. But I think right now for where the club is at, footballing-wise, there are some qualities that he has that are important for us to play the way that we want to play. Right. And But then it's also been it's also been interesting to see the Partey and Lakonga relationship develop. I think profile-wise, they're players with two very similar profiles right which is why i think sometimes like the balance of the midfield can be a lot they're both like inherently they want to be more kind of box to box mm. um whereas Zaka wants to kind of sit in front of the back for a little bit more and kind of control the tempo which i think complements party better and would complement lakonga if they were to play together okay. but it's been interesting to see how kind of that pivot of party and lakonga has is been given by just by the nature of like kind of our, our relatively not deep squad size, yeah, it, it, they've been kind of forced to kind of make it work, and there are definitely elements which I can see like as that being a potential future partnership. I think currently, whether Arsenal fans like him or not, he is still an important like footballing wise, still an, an integral member uh, of the squad, in my opinion. And like, what's his influence in the club out off the pitch? Because it sounds like he's influential in terms of his leadership role. Yeah, it, it's it's obviously everyone knows what happened, and I mean, I think to be honest, he showed a lot of personality and courage to be able to kind of come back from that. Mm. But at the same time, there are certain consistent like mental lapses, and I think from a fan's perspective, sometimes it seems like kind of like cop out, where yeah. it's like he it's it's fake leadership. It kind of like he 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 fronts as a leader. Okay, but then there are certain like I mean a perfect example is is I mean he has a I think a negative reputation like with the late tackles and stuff. So like City game earlier this year, for example, right? Um, when he gets sent off, that I mean I, questionable red card, but that's the type of thing. It's like backs against the wall, really difficult game. It it looks like oh he's just really he's really kind of committed in the tackle. Like that's leadership, that's Jacker, that's fiery. But I think it in my opinion that's a little bit it's like a it's like a cop-out like it that's more kind of stupidity and it's like an easy instead of kind of stepping up to the challenge it's it's kind of a little bit of a, a, a way out um and i think there's consistent moments where you see that from him where it's like it, it fronts it's just oh it's fiery it's passion um but a lot of times in my opinion it's like when things get difficult it's it's his way of kind of ducking out of the situation a little bit of yeah. like front yeah, um, he, that's kind of where I stand on him. But then I still think there are there are certain leadership qualities that he does possess, and there are certain footballing qualities that he does possess that, where the club is at the moment, are needed, and I think it will be important when he comes back in the second half of the season for our, hopefully our push for top four, or at least top six. All right. So, as you're seeing, like his rash tackles, because the player that I compare him to, maybe not in terms of performance and consistency, but what in terms of those like. I guess hot-headed tackles. Let's call it that. Is uh, Sergio Ramos. He reminds me a lot of Sergio Ramos in that aspect. Where, except the only difference is that people within Madrid look up to Sergio Ramos. Or Jaka, I don't know if they look up to him or just see him as a liability. You know what I mean? Like there are moments where yeah. you're like, ah, man, like he's if he's playing the stopper role, you're like, I don't know, man. Like it's like I don't know. He might do something really stupid in this in this sensitive moment. Yeah, I mean, I think like that comes down to like there's that balance between like 
actually like pure passion for the right. cause and stupidity, like you said, and just like yeah. mental lapses, like lapses of concentration. Um, and I think kind of Zaka and Balls leans more to the kind of lapses and concentration and stupidity side of things, mm. opposed to like he he he, he toes the line um, a little bit. Yeah. And look, like I think at this point, at, at this point, he he can, like I said, he can still be a valuable member of the squad. But um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him either run down his contract and go somewhere, um, or not be a massive part of the plans um, heading into next season. Um, but right. I, I'm I'm more indifferent on him than mm. most Arsenal fans. I think yeah. a lot of Arsenal fans are either like. Oh, like, I hate Xhaka. Like he's the yeah, worst. Yeah, yeah. He's awful. He needs to get out. Or some are, or some are complete. Like I mean, I, I feel like I fall somewhere in between where it's like, look, like I see his value. Do I think he's the answer in central midfield for us moving forward? Like definitely not. But I do see his value in terms of where we're currently at. And is it? But do you feel like at that point, is it something coachable? Is this an issue? Let's call it an issue. Xhaka being an issue. Is it coachable or is it like just inherent that maybe he should be phased out? Uh, I think I think I think there's a little bit of both. Mm. And so obviously under Arteta, like you can look at the I don't know the exact numbers, but we've had massive disciplinary issues in terms of we've had the most red cards in the Premier League hmm. since Arteta took over. Oh my god! Um, okay. And uh, a lot of those aren't like like studs up leg breaking tackles. Right. More kind of like mental lapses and discipline ah, i okay. do think that's that is somewhat coachable and that comes down to not not necessarily culture coachable i think that's more kind of like uh, a culture right a more like a maybe a, like a lack of a lack of impl- implementation of certain things maybe off the pitch or kind of um on the training ground like stuff behind the scenes that we don't see that maybe wasn't what it needed to be Mm. Um, like those mental lapses and those mistakes, that kind of lack of discipline. I think that's, I wouldn't say that's, some of it is coachable, but then a lot of it, like those individual mistakes that comes down to, I still think that is somewhat on the manager in terms of kind of building, building that kind of collective, mentally strong, kind of compact, disciplined group. Mm. You don't, you, you see, you see those, those moments less and less if you've been able to build that, but yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of a, of a of a combination of both. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's kind of my opinion too. Because like, there's something about him that I like and I want to like. Because I feel like you know, whenever he scores like a thirty yard screamer, you're like, oh yeah, great, amazing player. But then there are moments with like those late tackles or lazy tackles or just like you know, caught in the moment of emotions. It's like uh, I don't know if you should be playing at that level of football. And um, mm-hmm. well, speaking of emotions, what's your opinion on Arsenal fan TV? Oh, I hate it. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've like, not even like it's now like in the like the public eye that Arsenal fans in general don't like it. But yeah, I, I, when it when it first started, when it first kind of come onto the scene, and mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact shit, but so in like 2013, 2014, I would watch it, and it would be, and it would, I enjoyed it. I, right. I had friends that I had seen friends that would go on it after games. <laughs> it was actually it was a genuine forum for any given fan to voice their opinion on the club. Okay. But since, uh, honestly, since right around Arsene, when Arsene Wenger was was leaving, mm. and from then onwards, I have not touched the video in the last four years. 
It got a little toxic, didn't it? Completely. No, it's not even. To- it's like they 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 financially profit from Arsenal failing. Oh, um, I see. Okay. Literally, like when 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 we bad loss, bad form, whatever it might be, they would have those same three or four people. Like they, they ended up being coming. Like they they didn't just interview random. Fa- like there was yeah. like a, it felt like a cast, and it's like the same kind of oh. fake angry reactions to get as many views as possible. It's like. Opposing uh, opposing fans watch Arsenal fan TV more than Arsenal fans. I guarantee it. It's like <laughs> the, the, the first thing they'll do, they'll go watch Arsenal fan TV after we lose. It's like uh, they want to see. Yeah, so they want to see these. They want to see these these kind of freak out reactions. Mm. And instead of it being like a progressive forum for fans to kind of come together and speak about issues or kind of voice how they feel about where things are going, it's become a complete money grab. Of we literally. We make money from views and we get more views when we lose and we have people go on angry rants about how yeah. awful this is, the owners this, this player that, all negativity, all negativity, all negativity, and they profit from that. Mm. So, I mean, like you see our recent away games, you see video or I do see videos of Arsenal fans chanting, Arsenal fan TV, get out of our club. Really? Um, Interesting. Yeah, they're not, they're with, they're not particularly, I say, welcome anymore in terms of like huh. the arsenal community but for me like that's something that's been brewing for a long time yeah i i feel like when i think it started when arsenal kept getting like Bayern munich or barcelona to champions league and like the round of 16 okay. they were like there it was almost as if they were destined to lose those big clubs you know like Bayern, Bayern munich and barcelona at the time were just like unbeatable and mm-hmm. Bayern munich mm-hmm. still is today and it's and i this is my theory i feel like those champions leagues losses to a bigger club is reminding Arsenal fans at that time saying you can't compete at that level like there's something wrong in this club you still have the same manager who's sort of buying these obscure players that don't work like Yaya Sanogo I will forever remember that name I don't know where he's at now but I remember him being he had one amazing game and then that's it you know and I just um like what's did, did Arsenal change their scouting since Wenger left or is it still the same thing well, it's kind of it's it kind of gone back and forth. We did have, I mean, like the world of scouting is just shifting dramatically, like inherently. Yeah. yeah. But so we were, we had a massive kind of network of global scouts led by one guy, and then they recently shifted to a more kind of data-led approach. Data-led approach. Okay. And that, then that's better. Focused on like the the use of kind of using a select group of like agents and intermediaries and they laid off a large group of the scouting staff. Hmm. This was when Raul Sanelli, before he got fired or I don't remember if he got fired or he just left. I think he got fired before he was, he, he took over that department and he, he had the more kind of agent led approach. Okay. And now recently they've shifted more back to kind of like a, a balance between the two okay uh, they they re-expanded the scouting network the kind of the traditional scouting me- network a little bit more after they had laid off a large chunk of them right now it's kind of like a balance between the data-driven approach the use of intermediaries and agents and your kind of traditional kind of global scouting network yeah because like the thing about agents that run me the wrong way all the time is that they're always trying to make a profit out of every transfer, right? It's like, mm-hmm. was it that Neymar's dad made 20% of his transfer fee from Barcelona to PSG? And I was like, 
that's like 200 that's like 20 mil from like one days of work you know what i mean yeah yeah and and it's like i think that kind of i wouldn't say ruins the game but it definitely affects it a lot like i think pepe gets a lot of he gets a lot of pressure because he comes with such a heavy price tag but that's not his doing that's really the agents and so on i'm glad you brought that up because i'm reading soccernomics right now i don't have you read the book yeah i read it a while ago but it's a good book it's a great book. I'm reading it at first. I've I bought it like years ago. I just never touched it. I I yeah. that's a bad habit of mine. And finally, <laughs> I've I've come around to it and I'm loving it. And it's great. And I love how they're talking about now. There's this great implementation of data, of looking at players of what they could do, how they fit, and also how agents will you know try to extract as much money as possible from everything. And yeah, yeah. So, so I'm glad that Arsenal is doing that because for a while there's been transfers. I'm like, it doesn't really make sense. But Martin Udegaard is a great, great transfer. I mean, I think now you're seeing the this past window, people can have that. Yes, we spent the most money out of any Premier League club mm-hmm. and people can have their, can say what they want about the, the players that came in and some of the price tags maybe were, were slightly inflated but it's like you're now seeing there's like a clear identity to our transfer strategy yeah which you couldn't really say in years prior Mm -hmm. and i think it's like i think it's going to pay off kind of trusting the vision of this collective group um and you can you can see like this yes i i agree some of the price tags were maybe slightly questionable but there's kind of a, a clear focus on we're not signing anyone over 25 years old. Yeah. With a clear focus and like establishing that young core to develop and grow together with potential to sell on for profit in, mm. in coming years. And it sounds simple, but just having a clear strategy about how you want to go about your business in the transfer market, I think it will have effects long-term 100%. And it's yeah. like, I always got People kept on saying, oh, it's like, obviously we signed Ben White for 50 million and at the same time, United signed Varane for how, around 30 million. Yeah. So, oh, like, like, why would Arsenal not sign? Why would Arsenal not sign Varane? Mm-hmm. Um, he's way better than Ben White, way cheaper, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, you have to understand, like, the realities of the situation as well. First off, Varane's never going to come to a club without Champions League football. A. Second off, Varane is 29 years old and wants to make 400,000 a week. Oh, um and third like there that's he's Varane wouldn't like that's a sunken cost it's like you yeah gonna, you, his wages you're not going to sell him on for profit ben white yes expensive 50 million but he's 23 just turned 24 he makes 80 grand a week mm. he's now gonna be he, he was in the provisional england squad he's will start to get more especially now that he's with arsenal start to get called up more to the to the national team consistently yeah room to develop and grow wages aren't absurd and if he has four or five good seats like harry Maguire at 26 or 27 went f- for 80 million over after heights. being at leicester and it's like but then again it's like there is also potential for profit on ben white down the line even yeah. though we bought him for 50 million so it's like with where the club is at like that is that signing makes a lot more sense than than a than a than a Ryan signing and it fits the model and the clear strategy that the club now have in the transfer market going forward so that's i think something important to build on and something that i think is a good thing and i, I think like, i like that i like the logic yeah. because it makes sense like it it, it, w- it makes sense because you see that philosophy with the joe willick transfer to to newcastle 
at first I was like, oh, I think Arsenal made a mistake getting rid of Joe Willock. But when you see all the midfielders, you're like, okay, this he's a young talent that needs more game time. Going to Newcastle, I was like, all right, that's a, still a good club for a young player like him. And one of the other, other Arsenal fans brought up saying like, it was sort of, um, you either keep him, but put him on the bench and he won't really develop. Or you make money now and you get rid of him or you cut him and go to Newcastle and maybe put something in contract that you will buy him back. Who knows? I'm, I'm not entirely sure about that. But uh, another thing that I like about Arsenal, what they're doing is that they're trusting on the in the youth a lot more. Like Smith Rowe has been incredible. Saka has been like, you know, a lot of people's people have been saying Saka's name a lot lately and for very good reason. Uh, Martinelli's kind of been touted as like Arsenal Jesus for a little while. I mean, is there is there more young talent coming out of Arsenal that, that you would know of or? I mean, yeah, are we the, the big name that I've. Been, I mean, when I had more time, I used to follow the yeah yeah, yeah. The twenty the, the 23s a lot more closely than I do now. Mm-hmm. The 23s and the 18s. Fortunately, I don't have as much time to, <laughs> to kind of follow and keep track and watch those games as much as I can. I don't have as much time right. to do that anymore. But the names, obviously, we still, I still think Balogun can be a big player for us. He's now, oh, yes. he's officially promoted to the first team. But the big name I'm hearing that, who's currently coming up is Charlie Patino. He's a left-footed central midfielder. Um, his dad's Spanish and actually Barcelona uh, oh. tried to come in for him already. But oh. he, he's, I believe he signed a new contract with us recently. And he's kind of dubbed like kind of the next big thing to come out of Halen, which is the name of our academy. Okay, And that's the big name I've been hearing of late. There was a young guy, actually his last name is Salah as well um and he recently he was on the bench for the carabao cup game against leeds mid midweek oh. and he's been he's been doing well with our with our with our 23s as well those are two names that i've been hearing the most but i per mertesack is the head of the academy at arsenal and he's since he's taken over i think there's there's more of a kind of there's a, a re-established kind of continuity between kind of the, the the clear pathways and like the development process, right? Um, between kind of the, the integration between the first team and then the eighteens, the twenty three, the academy, and kind of re reestablishing the importance of HLN and the academy as being a just kind of a factory for young players to come through and and have success at first team level. That's so I, th- those are a couple of the names I heard recently, and I'm sure. I'm sure there are a handful of more as well. And I'm sure there will continue to be. Mm. I, I like that because like, I think one of the biggest concerns that most people had about the Premier League was relying on too much foreign talent as opposed to producing their own. But then you see looking at Liverpool, I mean, West Ham will always produce great English talents. But like when you look at, uh, you know, now with Arsenal, Liverpool's producing a lot of great talents coming out. Chelsea. Che- oh my Chelsea, God, Chelsea. Chelsea have done an unbelievable there. I mean, maybe not an unbelievable job of their player pathway to actually integrating them yeah. to first team level at Chelsea, but in terms of the quality of players that they are producing and the success that they're having elsewhere. Reese James, Tariq Lamptey, and uh, Liver Romento from Southampton, yes. they all come through as right backs. It, like They produce three starting caliber Premier League right backs who are all the same age at the same time. They're more or less the same age. Well, a couple of years between them. What are the odds so of that? That's unbelievable. That's, yeah, that's the they've they've done a they they do a really good job of developing the players. Their their kind of their pathway to the first team and integrating them might be slightly questionable, but it's got some some serious talent that comes out of there. 
man, that's been a, going back to you as a person, uh, not just being an Arsenal fan. Uh, how did you end up in LA and in Southern California? I had, I had family that had on my mom's side that I moved here, and a certain family member had gotten sick, mm. so we we essentially we just moved. Like I'd spent time here growing up. Okay. Just kind of like, because I had family here anyway. Mm-hmm. And then we just decided when that family member got sick, just kind of to move here, to be closer to them and just been here ever since. Okay. And I kind of ask London or LA? I mean, I think in weather, I think the decisions made, but overall, uh, I if you can be objective, London, I still leave London. Mm. Uh, mainly just, I like kind of like the speed of the city more. Yeah. Um, LA is very, I think LA gets a bad rep, rep in general for being kind of, oh, like superficial LA. Like, right. of course, like there is, there is a lot of that. You can't like deny that, but there's also like, the city is super culturally diverse. Like yeah. there's a lot of layers to it. It's just hard to uncover it because it's so big. Right. Um, and so inaccessible <laughs> and spread out. Like, you have to drive, right? Thing. It's like, you've got to drive everywhere. You got to really plan everything out before you do it, or else you know. Like I miss being like like somewhere like London. The city is very accessible. Mm-hmm. It's easy. You can just kind of walk out the door and and do things. Mm. <laughs> and just like obviously like culturally, like I just identify with it a lot more than I do here. Mm. If that makes sense. No, it makes sense. I I've been to LA uh, and um, in London. I went to London twenty sixteen. As a, ma- as a matter of fact, I went to West Ham game there and that was an experience of its own. And I remember <laughs> I, I was dating Were this girl. Were they still at Upton Park? Were they still at Upton no, Park then? No, this is the first, the, Olympic stadium? first the first season. The first season. Oh. Yeah, so I just missed it. And all the fans, when I walked in, all the fans were just like, you just missed it, man. You missed the real yeah. magic. And I was like, shit. Yeah. But you know, yeah. I got I still got to hear them sing the bubble song, so that was cute. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I I remember my last night in London was um, on Valentine's Day, and then the girl I was dating at the time. She was like, "Hey, uh, hope you're having fun." Period. And I was like, "Oh shit!" I was like, "I totally <laughs> misplanned this trip." I was like, "Oh," <laughs> and uh, it was it was it was one what of the comes first. <laughs> yeah i i was hesitant to say that to her but yeah in a lot of ways. but i remember i remember that night i met up with a friend and she had a date with her boyfriend so i was like yeah you do your thing and i was walking i was i think i was in the city and i was i decided to walk back to where i was staying i think pimlico yeah pimlico so it was like in the west i was like i'll walk it's my last night 30 45 minute walk i don't care it's a beautiful city to walk through yeah yeah it was so depressing because everyone was on a date Everyone's dressed beautifully. Everyone had a rose and chocolate. And I was like, oh, this sucks. And I was like, I'm hungry. I was like, I'm hungry. I got to go eat somewhere. So I go to Nando's. I was like, I have yet to have Nando's. So I got to go. I go. Everyone's on a date. And the waitress puts me in the corner in the dark. And I'm like, oh, it's so fucking sad. I was like, this sucks. <laughs> but um, but I love London. Uh, I, I'm on. I agree with you when in terms of uh, LA and London, where you just walk out the door at any time you want and you're good. You just find something to do. Yeah. It's just way more easy to, to, to navigate. You said that you said in the pre-recording or in the pre-show you work as a assistant coach, right? Is that at a university? Yeah, I work on on a, on a college university team at the okay. moment. Okay, yeah. And uh, how how's that like? Is that your first time getting this gig, or that it's it's there are parts of it that I enjoy, there are parts of it that I don't enjoy. Like it's okay. not my it's not my like end goal career-wise. Right. right. It's like I want to work in football. I want to more like more work in kind of 
player recruitment and like roster construction in like the front office mm. of a of a of an MLS club. Right. That's kind of my my ultimate aspiration. But there are parts there are parts of it that I do enjoy. I just enjoy being around the game on a daily yeah. basis and still I, I I play it as well. So like kind of still having that that like competitive edge. Yeah. And just kind of still having like the feeling of like kind of competing for results, et cetera, et cetera. And kind of mm. uh, the parts of it I enjoy most and like when you're able to kind of create the relationships and kind of help individually, like uh like from a player development standpoint. Like that's the with my role currently, like the main the main gist of what I do is kind of like video stuff. Okay. So I'll go over film with the with the guys, then I'll help kind of construct the the opposition and the opposition scouts for our upcoming opponent and then kind of whatever like like tactical and player personnel stuff kind of like whatever that may be there are i, I don't see myself as a coach long term right or kind of in that space long term but it's had kind of like a good stop gap as i kind of try and yeah uh, take that next step and um what position did you play i play so like growing up i saw myself as like a 10 okay so like, <laughs> but i'm I'm six foot four, so when I got oh geez, four, okay, I, when I grew and got bigger, yeah, it's like man, it's not that many. There's not that many six foot three, six foot four attacking midfielders. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I ended up playing mostly once I started playing in university, made at a higher level, right. mainly as either I started as a six, mm. and then ended up as like a target center forward by the time oh, I, yes. by the time that I was done. So that was kind of like my. Uh, trajectory but like i grew up in london playing mainly kind of like small sided like cage football yeah so like i liked kind of i liked ball at my feet i like kind of being creative but as i i didn't end up having kind of the build to really play <laughs> number 10 play that position yeah yeah it's funny because i started out as a fullback so i was playing like a right back or a left back never center back because i'm like i'm five foot ten but when i was younger i was like what five eight five six so it's like you're, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. you're not going that position fullback on the wings that's better you and i was also very quick as a kid so they're like that's perfect but at the time especially in canada it was like a dump and chase method so it was like mm-hmm. oh god it sucks and then um i still mean down oh it's like it's like not only does it not work it's just like it gets tiring re- really quickly and now like by the time you get the ball your touches are heavy and it's just you know it sucks from from england to la what's like the the level difference if there is that much of a gap but like what is it like what is the one thing in terms of playing you noticed that was completely different from london to la when i first got here it was like it, it's more so kind of like the, the general understanding of the game mm. you would think off the top like oh there'd be like phys- like in terms of like the physical and like technical di- differences not that drastic like there mm. got here like there are some technically really really good players it more comes down to like a general kind of like tactical understanding and okay. like an understanding of the of the game yeah um i think which mainly i think that also stems back to like the cultural stuff too right it's like it, here or in america or north america Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't speak for Canada because I don't know 100%, but right. kids grow up playing all four or five different sports. Yeah. Uh, like everyone gets their, it's like, you grow, I, grew, I, I grew up, yeah, like for school, you have to play different, but like from five, six years old, like football was my sport. Like that mm-hmm. was like, I knew like that's the sport I was going to play. And you, you, you kind of grow up with a more like a, a, a centric focus on that. Right. And from like a cultural perspective, it's like, like we said, like 
growing up in like you live and breathe the game so it's like from a really young age you're watching a lot like you're obsessed with it right and that creates like a certain understanding from like an iq perspective that i think sometimes when i got here is like it was more kind of like there was it was more kind of robotic in a sense yeah okay. also here it's like kids grow up from a very young age they, they play organized especially in los angeles it's not it's not it's very spread like yeah, like yeah. I grew up playing more like street style, mm -hmm. like in kind of free um, environments, kind of just anywhere in the park, like mm. um, on the street, in the gut, whatever, you know, it's not like here, I think kids growing up, grow up playing more kind of like robotic, like, uh, oh, yes. like you do this and then, then you do that. Then you do, there's less kind of free play. I yeah, guess yeah. you can kind of hone that more kind of creative side of things. I mean, but I think that also varies, like it varies culturally as yeah. well. Like which part of the city you grow up in, like environment cracking, in my opinion, plays like, a huge role in player development and kind of shaping how, um, what type of player you will become as kind of the environment that you grow up in. Right. So I, I think it still does vary even like within the city. But I think if I was going to say from like a general sense with like America or Los Angeles versus London, that would be kind of the biggest thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree because I remember like in Montreal is kind of is as you said, like it depends what part of LA you grew up that determines the way you play. Like I grew up playing a lot of pickup soccer, so a lot of seven asides and every culture has their own different way. But because there wasn't an inherent Canadian or Montreal or French Canadian style of play, it became like an open tapestry. You just do whatever you want. So my like for me personally, my style, like I learned a lot from the Algerian people, the West African guys, from the Arab guys. Like I just learned by watching the way they play. Even the Vietnamese people, they played very much what they lacked in physicality. They compensated in uh in a technique and tactic where it was more one touch, move, don't let them get near you. And if if two big guys are on you, find a way to kind of like swim your way between them. And and about, then there was this one time I played pickup and this guy came from London. He was a West Ham fan. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'll play easy. And the way he played easy hurt. It, <laughs> it hurt. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I was like, and then I think at that moment, even he read the game like a step ahead than everyone else. I was like, oh, okay, we still have a long way to go. And But I, I love seeing those subtle things because like you, you learn as you watch, right? So much. Yeah, you learn so much. And yeah, it's like I said, like environment and kind of the like culturally and like the, the even like the kind of environments you grow up playing in will kind of define yeah certain things that you pick up as you develop especially if you, if you want to play at a higher level like once that all comes together there are certain like, details which will be defined by your environment honestly yeah and if there's one culture that i could say dominated the way people played in montreal was the italian style that catenaccio kind of style it was like interesting. like i've always found I always found defense in Montreal in terms of the organized level at the high level. I always found defense pretty good. It was like everyone just knew what to do. No nonsense. Everyone just worked cohesively in defense. Going forward, I always felt like you're missing that creative spark. You just need that one guy who played a lot of pickup soccer, a lot of five aside or whatever to like unlock that final third, right? I'm going to I'm gonna ask you one last question because I know you, okay. you know, well, you and I, we have to wrap up. What's your... um? What's your opinion of MLS? Like, like you've seen obviously someone who's grew up in London, being an Arsenal fan and being a Premier League fan, and watching MLS and how it's you know it's come a long way. I would say, is how do you see it, or how like especially you as like I said, someone from London, how do you see MLS today and how it's come? I mean, I personally, I might have a different opinion than most. Like, okay, I love MLS. Oh, great! Um, I'm so happy maybe, to hear that. Uh, I'm not like 
to a point where, like I was just saying before, like, I, I want to work in MLS. Mm-hmm. Um, like since I've come here, I just become kind of fascinated with the the market and like seeing the the, the growth the growth of the game and kind of seeing the potential that the league that the league has from from numerous different numerous different angles. Yeah, it, it's there are always going to be certain limits to like the ceiling of the league. Right. But I can't speak to the general the general consensus of it from like an English person's perspective right. currently living in England, like what their view of MLS is. But I can say as someone, an English person that has moved here, yeah. I have like, I, I might be different too because I just, I love football and I want to work. In, I, it's my life from every sense of the word. So it's like, Wherever I was, it's like I want to be involved in local football. I want mm. to be able to. I, I want to. If I'm living in this country, I want to. I want to know what the league is about. That's and, very cool. And, and follow it as much as I can. And like now, like I know MLS mainly because I, I I do want to work in it. Like I know MLS like the back of my hand. I know okay. the college system at higher level is like a, a part where I know kind of the leagues that feed into MLS and. The, the markets and, and, and all of that. And I'm a big fan of it, but that might be a pretty biased outlook. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, 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 won't, it, it won't give you kind of like the classic, oh, like how does the English person see the, the game in America? Yeah. 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 Cause I'm not, I, I can't speak from that standpoint. I still, when I go back and people I speak to back over there is still more, it is, it's more knowing now for sure, mm-hmm. but there's, it's still kind of, there's like a relative unknowing surrounding yeah. it. Yeah, in terms of like, oh, how good actually is the level? How popular actually is it? Mm. What is the infrastructure like? It's more of an unknown opposed to like. I mean, I think people now know about it. Obviously, when they're like when you have players, players linked from, yeah, when you when you have players, older players who they know end up going and playing there, and then you have younger um, players based in MLS linked to Premier League clubs and mm. in some cases signing for like Miguel Marone signing yeah. uh, for a relatively large transfer fee to a Premier League club. I yeah. think that kind of puts people on notice, but I think still in general, there's a kind of a relative un- unknown factor. Okay. But yeah. It's, um, I'm, I'm actually really happy there because like, I think the one thing I like that MLS has done is become self-aware. Let's stop trying to be the next Premier League. Let's just become kind of like a selling club so that the players that we can export can speak on the quality of the league, right? So that's the one thing I do like. But right before I let you go, uh, what's your favorite MLS team then? Or is there... Uh, I, don't, I don't have a favorite team, to be honest. I just okay. kind of like... Well, I, I, find, I find it just interesting to watch young players and just like the development of the league hmm. but i do i i do go to lafc i wouldn't say i'm an lafc fan but because like that's i like watching live games so like yeah I, go to, I go to i go to lafc games but it's like i have no i have no emotional connection to any mls team your arsenal team that makes sense. yeah it's like that's the only team that i will ever support in, in uh, any context okay you know that's like, fair. i can't even yeah that's totally that's, fair that's a that's that. That's that's the best way that, that I can put it. No, I I respect that. That's yeah. You're just Arsenal through and through, and that's I really respect that. So wait, I, I, again, one last other question: Have you been yeah, to? A, have you been to a El Trafico game? I have. Yeah. How is that like? I'm really curious about that. To be honest, I can't like the atmosphere at LAFC is is impressive. It's a that, completely different. Yeah. 
it's a completely different kind of atmosphere to what you'd experience in England and a Premier right. League game. Like the one thing that I've the biggest difference is like so like yeah like oh like the the, the three two five two mm-hmm. oh like they have they're so loud they got their chance all through the get like it currently now like even so with the growth of it it's still more of like oh let's go to MLS like it's like a it's like a, a fun day out it's like a nice like oh, uh, a good, like family experience like yeah lose like doesn't particularly matter like. I'm not saying like I'm I'm not saying there aren't massive diehard MLS, but there are 100. I'm saying like the like the general, general vibe consensus. Yeah, is like for example, like when LAFC concede at home, the three two five two keeps chanting, keeps like when you're in England, it's like there's that feeling when you're you say you're at Emirates and Arsenal concede that like you can feel just like the energy <laughs> completely shift and yeah. like the like the dead silence. Uh, like the dead silence in the stadium because yeah. like people like live and die for these games mm. whereas like it's 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 hot like because i think that's more of like they've embraced more of like the kind of south american style of like yeah. kind of, like the constant like dialing, dialing, and it's yeah, just yeah. like consistent and it's like i think that's just a difference between there and in, it's like you you can hear a pin drop if you can see it at home and then comes like <laughs> the abuse from the fans <laughs> and it's like there yeah. it's like oh like we've conceded like let's keep seeing oh whatever you know mm. it's just honestly that's that's not that's not that's not everyone right that's right, like right. A, and look there are certain there are certain like it takes time to build that you know it's yeah it's gonna happen overnight and but i think that's the biggest difference yeah like I think. It, it's funny because in montreal it's like whenever a goal is conceded is exactly how you describe where people are just like, Oh shit. Like this is not going well that you could, that the energy is not so much of like angry anticipation for a goal of like expectation. It's more like kind of a, a deflation and a deep disappointment. You're like, no, Defla- that's the word. Like you yeah. can feel the stadium deflate. That's a perfect word. Like, yeah. Whereas in MLS, I don't like, at least with LAFC, like you don't, I don't feel that kind of def- deflate. Obviously people are upset. I don't want the team to concede, whatever it might be, but it's like, oh, okay. Right. I think game continues now. <laughs> I think also Americans are inherently optimistic. So I think that kind of seems to feed into Maybe it. that plays a role as well, for sure. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Ben, Ben White, Ben Green, <laughs> thank you for coming through. I really appreciate it. This was, I, I looked at the time and I, I can't even believe it's been an hour already. So this was, honestly, thank you so much for coming through. Thank you to Tagwa for connecting us. And is there anything you'd like to plug or anything you'd like to share before we go? No, nothing, nothing in particular. And like, once, like once again, thank you for having me on. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, man. So yeah, no, thanks again. Awesome. So for everyone listening, thank you for being an audience. If you want to follow the, if you want to follow the podcast, you can follow my Instagram at the soccer pilgrim and you can follow, find me on Spotify at soccer pilgrim. And yes. This has been a season of Arsenal and I got to once again, thanks. Thanks to Ben Green for pulling up and all right. So from Montreal, thank you. Thank you.